There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 120 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of December 27th, 2010. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking along my excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. As always, this and all others are available at the website www.thedigitalfreemason.com and I still encourage you to swing by and pick these up. So this week's episode is about the cornucopia. And I have to say that i um, just going to give you some warning that I am going to butcher a whole bunch of the names that are in this. Uh, it has to do a lot with the Greek historians and that sort of thing. So I apologize to any of those historians that actually know how to pronounce it. But it also delves into why it is that the cornucopia, where it came from, and why it is a part of the steward's uh, jewel. So we'll get right into it with... Uh, Worshipful Brother John Borsma's piece on the history of the cornucopia. The ancients depicted the sun as being driven along the arches of the heavens by a team of fiery horses, and once descended into the west, she was transported in a golden cup over the river Okinos back to the east to re-enter her chariot and preside over the opening of a new day. This is but one of the legends of the ancient Thessalians and the Helics, who were so named after the ruins in Thessaly and the rest of the Helis or Greece. Contrary to popular belief, these ancients were far more from solemn or dull, but rather down-to-earth and quite lively. From their legends, we may gather a good deal of man's earliest philosophy and gain some insight into his perception of a god or gods. According to Hesiod, and before him, implicit in Homer, the following story of the creation emerges that in the beginning there was chaos or void, from which sprang Gaia or Earth, who all by herself produced Uranus or heaven personified. This mother Earth, father Sky, couple had numerous offsprings, such as Night, who became the mother of Day, of Pontus, sea personified, and so on. To Earth and her husband Heaven were also born a group of seven deities, collectively known as the Titans, whose chief was Kronos. These Titans, instigated by Mother Earth, rebelled against Father Uranus, for as long as Earth and Heaven were in an embrace, there was no room in between them, and their children had to be hidden in the caves and hollows. Kronos, Lord of the Universe, took precautions against being overthrown by his own offspring and was not afraid of his daughters, though it was prudent to swallow his sons. Hades, who was a ruler of the underworld, Poseidon, who was with his trident, was in command of the waves, and Father Cronos almost swallowed Zeus, but almost, as his sister Rhea substituted a huge stone for the baby. Baby Zeus himself was hidden on the island of Crete, where Melissus gave him to be suckled by the goat Amaltha. We note that in the mysteries and legends associated with the gods of Olympus, little if any attention is paid to the mortals inhabiting the earth. The relationship of the ancients to their gods was likely a spectator and a narrator. The interrelationship of man to God appears virtually lacking. It would take Judaism and later, of course, Christianity to develop the philosophy of a one caring God and Father. 
Our order, of course, recognizes this relationship. It also accentuates the relationship man to man and assigns it to its proper place. No longer is man portrayed as either a ruler or as a mere serf. As masonry moved from the operative craft into the speculative art, it was inevitable it would pick up symbols well out of reach of tools of the operative stonemason. We will talk about such a symbol. A great feast in masonry has always been that of St. John the Evangelist, the seer of Patmos, and the apostle of brotherly love. Traditionally, it was celebrated on June 24th, the time of the summer solstice. Our wardens, back in the early 1700s, had similar problems arranging banquets as our junior wardens do today. They solved this by appointing stewards, the derivative of perhaps sty, as in pigs, and ward, as in warden or keeper. Volunteers were sought for this onerous office as one became personally responsible for the banquet bill and raising of prices for tickets met with a similar howling as it does today. By 1735, we found the stewards twelve in number and witnessed the formation of the steward's lodge. Its original number on the register of the Grand Lodge was 117, and it never engaged any initiations. The painter, William Horgarth, himself a grand steward, designed a jewel for this lodge. The jewel was to last for a century and consisted of a deft combination of a square, the level, and a plumb rule set in a circle. The importance of the stewards and the steward lodge to the craft were exemplified by subtle concessions. The number of the lodge was advanced from 117 to 115, then to 70, then to 60, to be followed by 47, and finally in 1792 the honorary number zero was assigned to the lodge, which it remains to this date. To celebrate its centennial, in 1835 the steward's lodge sought further concessions. The then Grand Master informed the stewards that their jewel was inappropriate for members of Grand Lodge, thus a new jewel had to be created. For the moment, suffice it to say, note that the Horgarth jewel was replaced by the cornucopia set between the leg of a pair of compasses. We left baby Zeus on the Isle of Crete in the care of Melissus, and nursed by the goat Amaltha. When Zeus grew up to be his formal status as a ruler of the Olympian Pathanon, he acted swiftly. He made his father Kronos literally bring up the swallowed sun Hades and Poseidon, and of course the huge stone. He then took a horn of the goat Amatha and gave it to his keeper Melissus, with that promise that it would pour out whatever his heart desired. The goat herself was promoted to the heavens, where it shines as a constellation such as Capricorn. The cornucopia, the or the horn horn of plenty, the legendary horn of the goat, now adorns the steward's wands and collars in our lodges in this jurisdictions. But it leaves me to wish you and all your loved ones a true cornucopia for all the years to come. So there's Brother Borsma's piece on the cornucopia. It gives a history of where the cornucopia came from, as well as why the cornucopia got rolled into the steward's jewel. And I uh, forewarned was forearmed. I told you I was going to be uh, bastardizing a whole bunch of those names, so I, and I did. And now, this was the last podcast that I'll be doing for 2010. I look forward to seeing you very early in 2011. And in the meantime, be sure to swing by the website and check it out, or send me a email at podcast at thedigitalfreemason.com, or join the Facebook group. I think we've rolled up over well over 2,500 people there. It's the Digital 
Freemason. So until next year, be sure to keep the shiny side up.